Many of you are wearing the Christmas colors today. Some of you guys, where's your Christmas spirit? Uh, y'all, y'all ain't wearing, yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm at least wearing green, right? I like Sammy's outfit. The red shirt and the green pants. Uh, yeah, I was, gonna, I was thinking about wearing green pants too, but I thought it was a little bit too much uh, for today. But um, so I want to say it's, uh, it's a good week. It's Christmas week this week. And yeah, I'm excited to share uh, the word with you today. All right, let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Right, this is probably the most famous Christmas passage in the entire Bible. And so I thought, hey, good, uh, our first Christmas together as New Philly, Sydney, it's good to look at this passage. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, uh, and we'll read for a number of verses. Reading from the ESV. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for the word. Uh, Not just your word in the Bible, but uh, the word, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word became flesh. And yeah, just thank you for, yeah, just for who he is and what he's done. And I pray that uh, for this message today, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you anoint this message, my tongue, God, and yeah, God, it would just lead us to greater worship, uh, greater reverence, greater love for you, greater devotion, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide me and, and this, my speaking at this time, my heart, there's just everything about this message, God. Uh, and Lord, build up your church through this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I love singing Christmas songs, uh, Christmas carols, especially the ones that sound like hymns, uh, because I, I am, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm old school, I'm old fashioned, I like hymns, but you know, one of the most famous Christmas songs, Silent Night, Holy Night, 
All is calm, all is bright. But actually, if you, if you read some of the accounts of Christmas, especially the one we just read, that, those lyrics are not very accurate, are they? It should probably be more like uh, crazy night. Okay, holy night. Yeah, it's a holy night. But all is not calm. All is not bright. That song, it, you know, it's a, it's a nice song to grow up to. But it's not very accurate because look at, I mean, you know, when you think about Christmas, you, you get, you feel very nice. It's, you know, where's your Christmas spirit? Right? Put the lights out, you know, put the tree up. It's a season of giving. It's a season, you know, you don't, you know, it's the end of the year. You're not, you're taking off from work and you just feel all nice and warm and, and fuzzy and you just feel nice. Right? It's Christmas. Right? That's, what, that's what Christmas is about. But actually, if you actually read the story about how Jesus was born and what his family had to go through, it's, it's, not that, it's not that warm. and I don't think they were feeling all warm and fuzzy. You know what I mean? Like, you, that's the, you know, the songs, oh, like, oh, he was born in a manger. Do you, like, do you realize what a manger is? Do we understand what this is about? So, you know, I just wanted to take a closer look at what it was actually like for Jesus to be born. What, what it was like and what that means uh, for us today. All right? So, you know, this is a very familiar, familiar passage. Luke chapter 2 is probably the most uh, famous Christmas passage. But I feel like, you know, there's, you know, if we linger here a little bit, if we just sit and just think about what this passage is saying, uh, I feel like we'll get a deeper understanding of Christmas. All right, you guys ready? Okay, so check it out, right? So uh, it starts out saying, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What? What is Luke doing? Why is he giving all these details? Right? Well, first thing you see is that in verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Right? That word he uses there is news. Okay. And uh, this is a point I made back in my Easter sermon as well. But first thing you want to know about Christmas is that it is actual real news. Okay, it's, some, it's events. It's something that's happened. I won't dwell too long on this because I covered it in my Easter message. But, you know, Christianity is not just uh, some moral codes or principles to live by. But it's actually news of real events. That's why Luke mentions, you know, Caesar Augustus. He actually, you know, in those days when he gave that decree. Remember that decree when that happened? Right? Like, he's like, oh, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria? Yeah, this has actually happened. These are real-life people. These are real-life events. And this is real news. This is good news. And news is different from advice. Right? Advice is like, oh, this is how you should live, moral principles. But news, especially important news. Right? Like, this past week in Sydney, there was some big news going on. Right? And it affected everybody. It wasn't just news that you just read in like, okay, whatever. Because there was a hostage situation at Martin Place. And if you were following the news, that probably affected how you lived your life. At least for the next day or so, right? Until everything was... And it affected the whole city. And it affects us now because, you know, in Sydney, I thought coming from New York, you know, when you live in New York, you're like, oh man, terrorists might attack us. Or, you know, it's New York. But Sydney is like, Sydney is... You know, who's going to attack Sydney? Right? 
Sydney's a nice city, but you know, Sydney's peaceful. And, and then, bam, you know, hostage situation, uh, this uh, radical uh, Muslim dude. And, you know, I don't know all the, all the details about his background, right? But, you know, even in Sydney, you know, there's, there's crazy stuff going on. And so there's news. And when news, significant news like this happens, it affects our lives. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't go to Martin Place. Well, you know, maybe you did. But you don't go, you didn't, like, you, you want to be safe. Like, you, you were careful how, if you were in the city. You know, it affected, like, how you traveled, where you went. Well, here, uh, this Christmas is, first and foremost, is news. It's something that happened. And it affects our lives. Right? It's real-life events. There was a Caesar. There was a governor. They had names. There's events that happen. And... Uh, this is good news. Okay, there's, there's different kind of news. Like this news this past week, it was not good news. It was bad news. It affected us in a negative way. But this news, the events that happened here, it's good news and it's for all the people. It's news of great joy. Great joy, right? And so Christmas is a time of joy. It's a time of joy because we get to celebrate, man, God sent his son Jesus and he didn't leave us alone. I, th- I talked about that last week, right? That he didn't leave us on our own, in our broken state, in our lost state. But he entered our world because he loves us. But here's the thing. It's not only good news of great joy. Christmas is also news of tough stuff that happens in our lives. Okay, let, let's, let's read this a little bit, right? Actually, we already read it. But basically, uh, Mary and Joseph... okay who were G- uh, Jesus' parents, they were pretty poor. And if you read all the Gospels about Jesus, over and over again, especially uh, the Luke, the writer of Luke, he emphasizes, hey, they are poor. They are a poor family. If you read later on in chapter 2, it says when they went into the temple to give uh, all, you know, the, uh, the, the sacrifice for Jesus, because uh, all the firstborns required a sacrifice, they gave two turtle doves or two pigeons. That means they poor. That means they broke, right? Like they got no money. Some of you guys know how they feel because some of you guys are broke, right? I'm sorry, but you guys know how they feel, right? So that's, that's basically like, that's basically, they were poor, okay? You know what I mean? Like, uh, first of all, Mary's a teenage girl, okay? She's, she's young. Joseph is a carpenter. Carpenter, you know, she doesn't make that much money, right? Now he knows how teenage girls feel, right? You don't got a lot of money, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, right? I'm just kidding. All right. But you're still a teenager, though, right? You're turning 20 soon, though. Yeah. All right, my fault, my fault. Okay, anyways. All right, we're going to move on with the message. Um, what was I saying? All right, this family's poor. Okay, so basically, they are, you know, Joseph's a carpenter. He doesn't have some prestigious job. Okay, they're not a rich family. Think about it. They're going back to uh, the ancestral city of Bethlehem because that's, uh, you know, Joseph was of the family of David. So he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, and he can't even get a room. Think about that. If you go to your ancestral city, let's say your your family, your, your ancestors are from Seoul, Korea. You go to Seoul during the time of the census, if you can't even get a room, not only are you broke, not only are you poor, you can't even, but you don't even have any connections. You have no social status. You have, you have nothing. You are like the lowest of the low people in society. 
you, you have basically nothing, right? And some of the, I'm sorry I'm picking on people, but like, you know, some of the church plant team knows what this feels like. You know what I'm saying? People, we came from Korea, some of us, and we came to Sydney, and we knew four people here, the four horsemen, right? And we were like, some of us didn't even have a room. Peter King was living in the living room in a three-bedroom house with nine people living in a total, and he was sleeping in the living room for a few weeks. You know what I mean? Like, but at least he had a place to stay. Think about this. We, we felt like we were low in Sydney, but Joseph and Mary, man, they can't even get a room. They can't even get four walls and a roof. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how low in society do you got to be? How, like, they, do you not even have any family that's going to take you in? Just think, about, just think about what it was like for them. First of all, Mary's pregnant, and not only is she pregnant, she's about to give birth. So she's like eight and a half months pregnant. Okay, and first of all, they didn't even, they didn't have trains, they didn't have cars, they didn't have, you know, coach, like buses or like first class, air. they didn't even have nothing. How do you think they're traveling, this poor family? Do you think they had money to buy like this carriage or, they were walking. She's eight months pregnant, they poor, they broke, they don't know nobody. And she is walking 100 miles. Kilometers, that's something like 150 kilometers. Walking at the worst time of her pregnancy. Just, 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 just let that sink in, okay? Hey, Christmas, you, feel warm, you still feeling warm and fuzzy a little bit? You know, how, how, you think, how you think Joseph and Mary were feeling, right? And why did they have to go to Bethlehem? They were living in Nazareth, which is up here, and they had to go down to Bethlehem, which is down here, 150 kilometers or so. And why? Because this Caesar Augustus, this vain emperor, wanted people to be registered in a census so he could figure out how many people there are so he could get the full amount of taxes. It was for his vain personal reason. He doesn't care about what the poor people have to go through, what people have to do during this season. And Joseph's like, and Mary, what are they thinking? Like, God, you wanted us to have this baby. And he was to be the, you know, the child of the Most High. And Lord, we're, we're doing this. We're following your will. And why are you making us go, like, go through all this travel First of all, Joseph has to shut down his business, so he's not even making what little money he can make. You know what I mean? They have no travel accommodations. Think about how hard that travel was been. Some of you guys have traveled hard in third world countries in your lifetime. Let me tell you something. You, you, you don't even know, like, the beginning. You, don't, you have no idea what they experienced. You think, oh, it was so hot when I was in that third world country, and we had to ride these uncomfortable, you know, vehicles. Like, dude, you're just, what are you, you know, think, think about how much would you be complaining if you were in their shoes, right? Like, yo, let me, let me tell you something, okay? Hewan and Diddy, all right, they had just had their baby Zoe, and they had to move three times within the first year. And they also have to move internationally. And I was just thinking about them. I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, it's so hard. And it's like, yo, they went through some hard times. But Joseph and Mary, man, yo, yo, they, yo, they, 
That's hard stuff. They didn't have to walk the 150 kilometers. You know what I'm saying? Man, Joseph and Mary, you, you got to give them props, right? Man, not only that, they, they, just, they just went through some hard times, okay? I can't even go into too much detail, but think about this. They were not married when Mary conceived. Now, I don't know about you, but most people, even back then, could count months. Okay, so, uh, wait, you're getting married at this date, but your baby was at this date. Wait, let me do the calculation. Uh, wait, um, I think you were probably pregnant before you got married. And what do you think? They, they live in a small town. They don't live in a city like Sydney where you hide. They live in a small town, Nazareth. Everybody knows everybody, right? You know, later on, when Jesus comes back to his hometown, they're like, isn't this Mary's son? No one says the mother's son. They always say the father. Why don't they say, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, it's probably because they knew the history. Isn't this Mary's son? The Mary? I mean, like, they, they knew. So think about what they're having to go through. Christmas. Warm and fuzzy. But not for Joseph and Mary. Right? They had to go through a lot. Joseph's like, yo, you, girl, you pregnant? That wasn't by me. And it's like, no, no, it was the Holy Spirit. It's like, yo, girl, what do you think? I'm crazy. Right? You know, think about all they had to go through. Okay? Christmas is it's a crazy story. You know what I mean? You make this into a movie. Like, we, we read it so quick. We're so familiar. Man, they had it rough. They had her rough, right? And so she's like traveling. I'm sure she's getting like, you know, I, I, you know, actually we haven't had a baby yet, so I never had to go through it personally. But, you know, women get the, you know, you get like false alarms, you get pains, all this stuff. So they're, they're like traveling, you know, 150 kilometers for this stupid Caesar who wants to senses what the heck, you know, and they're going like, you know, like as they're going through, she's getting labor pains. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't know what labor pains looks like. All right, my fault, but. You know, and so they're going up, okay, and then they finally get there. Man, what an arduous, painful journey, right? And finally, she's like, honey, Joseph, I, I think, I think uh, my, my water just broke, right? Jo- Joseph's like, oh, honey, just wait. We don't, we don't even got a room right now, right? Let me, let me go talk to this innkeeper. Oh, yo, innkeeper, yo, my wife's about to give birth. Yo, can you just give it? Yo, I'm sorry, it's full. Like, you know, everybody from everywhere in Rome just came back to the city and we ain't got no rooms. Don't you have family or something? Oh, I got no family. I have nobody I know here. I got no place to stay. I'm sorry. But we, we all our rooms are full. We have nothing to give you. It's like, dang, man. That's rough. That's hard. And, you know, maybe it's like, oh, but, you know, like the animals are out back. Yeah, you can you can go out back. There's some hay. I mean, there's there's a manger. It's like, do you know what a manger is? Do you guys know what a manger is? Most commentators think it was a feeding trough for animals where they feed. A feeding trough. Jesus was born in a feeding trough. Man, think about. Wow, what did they have to go through? That's like. That's like in contemporary terms, okay? They had, you know, they couldn't find a hospital. They couldn't find a home, a room, nothing. They were in an alleyway, a cold alley, late at night, on some dirty rags, and she gave birth. Dang. 
That's crazy. What are you thinking if you're Joseph and Mary? Like, God. God, what are you putting us through, God? I'm giving birth to Jesus. What? Can't you, like, at least make it a, you know, we're not asking for a five-star hotel. Okay, is there a five-star hotel? Is this a four-star? I don't know, right? I don't go, I don't go to too many four-star hotels, I'm sorry. But, you know, they're not asking for the, you know, the nicest place. They're just asking for, you know, just maybe a little bit of comfort, maybe a little something. God, maybe. Anyway, while we're doing your will. And it's like, hey, sometimes you could be right in the center of God's will. And things could be really tough. You know what I mean? Like the Korea punch team who came down here. Man, for many months, it was rough. And it's like, God, are you sure you called me here? It's like, God, are you, like, you know, things are not working out. You know, I don't really have much money. I don't have a nice place to stay. Sometimes you follow God's will. You're right in the center of his will. And things are really tough. Even for Joseph and Mary. Did it make sense? Why are you putting me through this, God? Why are you putting us through these conditions? Man. But they knew. You know, this is just the beginning of what they had to go through. Right? Not after they get the after they go uh, give birth to Jesus, you know, we read in you know Matthew one and two and the rest of Luke as well, that afterwards, okay, they had to go to Jerusalem to uh you know another like you know, a lot, a lot of kilometers, okay, like a hundred some kilometers back down, holding the baby. Okay, they had to dedicate Jesus. And then uh, God calls them to go to Egypt for two years. They didn't know how long, but it ended up being two years. Going to Egypt, that's like, okay, Egypt didn't like Jews. Okay, that's like, as a Sydney cider, who doesn't like Sydney ciders? I don't know. Sydney's at peace with everybody, right? But it's like, okay, I don't know Sydney woman, but it's like going to some... I don't know. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be racist or nothing, right? But it's like going to some place that's not going to welcome you. You know, it's not like Joseph, you know, he was a, he was a poor carpenter. It's not like he had stable income. It's not like he had connections over there. It's, you know what I mean? He couldn't even get a place in his hometown, his ancestral city. And now they're going to Egypt. And for two years, you got to live there. And then after two years, now you got to go back. And like, man, they just go through some, Hard stuff that God calls them to do. And you know, here's the thing. The first, first thing we see in Christmas, in this story, is Christmas means your life is not in your control. Christmas means even when you welcome the living, breathing Jesus into your life, when you welcome God into your life, it means your life is no longer your own. God's in control, not you. So sometimes God will introduce things into your life that doesn't really fit in with your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. doesn't fit in with the comfortable way that you expected your life to go. But that's the story of Christmas. Just, Just think about what... I don't think any of us will probably have to go through what they went through just to give birth to this baby boy. You know, King Herod heard that Jesus was born, a 
a savior, this some dude. And so he had every male child under two years old killed. They're even trying to assassinate him as a baby. Like all that they had to go through. Man, you, you think they questioned maybe once or twice? Like, God, are you sure this is your will? And so, what, you know, if, if God calls you to do something crazy like this, usually he makes it a little clear. You know what I mean, like when is something crazy, he usually makes it a little clear. That's, you know, usually how God works. So, you know, an angel appears to Mary, right? An angel appears to Joseph in a dream. So they had assurances. Okay, but what I'm saying is that, you know, as you're following God in your life, you're following God's will, and you go through some hard times, man, it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that your life is no longer in his perfect plan. They were perfectly in God's plan. And yet, their life was rough. And you're going to get detours. You're going to get unexpected changes to your life itinerary that you've mapped out so well. You're going to have disappointments, heartbreaks. A lot of things go wrong. But it's actually through that that God is using you. That's through that that God's fulfilling his purposes in your life. Because let me tell you something. If Jesus was born in like some cushy, you know, inn, you know what I mean? If, if he was born in like some really nice hotel and he had everything and they rolled out the red carpet and everything he needed, then his life would be very different, wouldn't it? He wouldn't be the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He wouldn't be a man who knew suffering. Very well. Let me tell you, you know, Jesus, so that's, that's the first point, right? Christmas means sometimes your life's going to go wrong. Many of you have experienced that this past year. You look back at the end of your year, you look back, what was my 2014 like? And you think, man, this year was tough. It was hard. It was not the best year of my life. Maybe, you know, maybe some of you it was, but maybe I'm sure there are many of you here. You, don't, you think, oh, it wasn't the best. It was a tough year. Man, God brought me through some hard things. You know, that may be just the evidence that you are right where God wants you to be. Could be. Right? So, there's unexpected. When this stuff happens, if you're following God and you're obeying Him, you can still have trust that his, your life is in His hands. Second thing, right? is, man, I just want to dwell on just how Jesus was born. Okay? So, he was born in a manger. An animal's feeding trough. Anybody here born in a feeding trough for animals? Anybody? No? It's like being born in a doghouse. No, not even a doghouse. Because it's like being born where the dog eats his food, like in that little whatever, right? It's, It's... Man, if you, if you were God and you wanted to make your entrance into the world, like for thousands of years, my people have been waiting for something to happen and finally the day has come. And he's born into harsh conditions. The parents are, backs are aching and, and you know, just complaining probably and just going through all this. They can't even find a room outdoors in the cold. Being born in a feeding truck, in an animal stable. It's like, man, that's, 
That's how God chose to be born. In swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. And think about this. His family was poor, low status. Right? It's not, they're not born in a big city like Sydney. They're born out in like cans or something like that. Right? Is that how you say it? Cans? Cans. You know, it's like some rural village, Bethlehem. Nobody important is born in Bethlehem, you know? He's born in the middle of nowhere to nobody parents who have no standing. He's born in the middle of nowhere, outside. It's like the worst possible conditions in every imaginable way. And who's around to celebrate? Their family's not there because they're not even in, you know? They're on their own. It's just a little bunch of lowly shepherds. Think about it. When you, when you give birth, probably like you put it on Facebook, right? And you're like, oh, you want to get all those likes and people to celebrate with you. You feel like, oh, I love my Facebook community, you know? So, so rich and intimate. I'm just kidding, right? But, you know, you want, you want your most uh, beloved friends and relatives and, and, and family. You want them to be there to celebrate with you. And they just have a bunch of... Random shepherds. I mean, like, bah, bah. They're just like watching the sheep. Oh, snap. Oh, a little baby. It's like the most unceremonious, lowly birth you can imagine. What, why, did, why does God do this? What, what's he doing? You see, you know, last week I talked about God humbling himself and coming down from being a God all the way to being a human. But, you know, I want to dwell on this a little bit. He chose to be born in the lowliest of circumstances. You see, what we see is that God loves to do things against the way that the world likes to do it. God does not work according to the world's expectations. The Bible says it over and over again. That God chooses to use the weak, the poor, the lowly, those who are despised in the world. The, the, the people that the world looks down on, those are the kind of people that God likes to use. You know, we would think, oh, God would like to use the people with the great resumes, the great background, the status, the skills, all that stuff. But what, you know, what, what he does here in Christmas is, man, just the lowliest he humbled himself not to be a human. Okay, that's, that's already humbling enough. Right? Like, it's like, this is, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but it's like, as a human, you becoming an ant? That's pretty humbling. Right? Like, let's say God turned you into an ant. That, that would humble you. Right? But you're like, you're just like a little ant, and all you do is like, gather little crumbs, and then, bring, you know, and you just, but think about that. You're, a person's condescension to becoming an ant can't even compare to God's condescension to becoming a human being. Because that was infinite condescension. Infinite humbling. But not only any human being, the lowliest, the poorest, the weakest human being that you can imagine. That this is who God chose to come as. You see, we see God uses the weak and the lowly. God became weak. God became lowly. That God humbled himself 
so low. Think about the the most humblest task that you could be doing. The humblest job. You know, one of the most humbling things is, oh man, I remember, uh, this this wasn't my story, but I heard a friend tell a story where on Christmas Day, right? So, uh, my friend was having uh, some problems with a septic tank. Do you guys know what a septic tank is? All right. Think about it's the tank that holds your poo poo. Right? <laughs> it's like when you you know the toilet and it goes in there and that's that's where it's all you know that's where it's all held. And their septic tank broke down, and on Christmas Day, right, the person they called came in and he was working in the septic tanks. On Christmas Day. Or it was Christmas Eve or something like that. I might be getting the story wrong. Just, just think about, that is, that is so humbling. You're, you're fixing somebody's septic tank in their backyard on Christmas Day. And it's like, that kind of humbling? Jesus did that and so much more. Because he left his glory. Think about this. He's in heaven. You know, I, I've never seen heaven, but I'm, I'm picturing heaven is probably like a pretty cool place to be. Especially if you're God. Right? Like you probably got a maid. I mean, he, he's dwelling in all his glory. You know, all that he needs, all that he wants. He's almighty and powerful. But he chose to leave his glory. He chose to leave his authority and power and everything that he had. And he remained as God, but he left his glory. And he humbled himself to be a baby. Born in a cold alleyway. Out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, nothing was too low for God. Nothing was too humble for God. Because what we see here in Christmas is no matter... How low you feel like you are in your life. That God knows exactly where you are. God knows how you feel because he's been there. He's entered. He's entered. So no matter how low this past year may have felt for you, past couple years, whatever you are going through, the story of Christmas, we know that Jesus knows. Jesus understands. You know what I mean? Like, if you go through something really tough, and then you share it with someone who hasn't really experienced that level of suffering or that level of pain, you know, it's like you can only get a certain number, you know, level of comfort, right? Like, you don't, but you don't really understand, and you don't really want to open up. But if you share it with someone who's been through something the exact same, been through the same experience, and, you know, you've only started to go through it, but they've been through it, for years, then you start to actually listen to what they have to say. You respect their experience and their words because they've been through it. You know what I mean? There's a different weight you give. And it's like, no matter what you are going through right now, no matter what you have gone through, no matter how deep the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the difficulties You know that Jesus understands. Jesus knows. 
They, had, they were poor. They had no money. They didn't have a room. He's born in a manger. And that's the story of Christmas, is that he came in such a humble way because he had to identify with the lowest of the lows in this world. You know, Christianity, it's, it's, last week I was saying it's outrageous for God to become a man that no other religion, you see a God who actually comes down to earth as a man, where he could make, but not only that, he became a baby. Think about how vulnerable it is as a baby, right? Like, a baby is the most vulnerable person in this entire world. Okay, a baby can't do anything for himself or herself. Baby can't take care of himself. Right? Baby needs mommy and daddy to do everything. And, you know, even a little bit, something done wrong, even a little bit of violence, and a baby could die so easily. Baby's so fragile, so weak. I remember uh, our brother David Kim was telling me uh, a few weeks ago, like, when he was holding Esther, his baby daughter, and he just thought, and he was just crying, just thinking about God and Jesus. Because he was like, this baby is so vulnerable. Like, I could, I could not even try, and I could suffocate her. Just like, if I, you know, not that he wants to. Right? But he's just saying, it's just that easy. That's how vulnerable a baby is. You just cover just like this and they could just die. So, so vulnerable. So weak. Like, you know, it's not, we don't like being vulnerable. Right? We don't like feeling weak. And Jesus came as a baby. How much more vulnerable can you get? And he was no royalty baby. He was no baby of a wealthy family. A baby to the lowest of the lows in society. It's like, you know, in any relationship, right? if you want intimacy in a relationship, if you want a personal relationship with someone, you, you got to make yourself vulnerable. Right? There's this quote by C.S. Lewis. I should have quoted it, but, you know, I'm going to just paraphrase. He says something like, you know, if you don't want to get hurt, then what you can do is you can guard your heart. You can lock up your heart. You can put it in a treasure chest, you know, lock it, throw away the key. And so you'll never get hurt because you won't make yourself vulnerable. But what's going to happen there is your heart's going to grow hard. It's going to become unbreakable. It's going to become unlovable again. And, but, but the point of the quote is, basically he's saying, in order to really truly love someone, you've got to become vulnerable. To have an intimate, personal relationship. Right? Because if you don't, if you enter into a marriage, and you say, okay, I'm gonna, I want to marry this person, but I want to make absolutely sure that they can never hurt me. It's like, uh, then, I don't think marriage is the right path, because... When you become married, you make yourself very vulnerable. Like, things that that person can do and say can absolutely devastate you. You're making yourself vulnerable. Hey, maybe you shouldn't get married. Maybe you should just be uh, business partners. 
You know, maybe you just sign a contract. You get certain benefits. They get certain benefits. Or maybe you should just not get married. But let me tell you something. If the most intimate of human relationships like marriage, even a friendship, if you want a deep, meaningful friendship with someone, you need to allow yourself to possibly get hurt. You need to make yourself vulnerable. Because if you don't make yourself vulnerable, then there's a limit to how deep that friendship can go. Right? This, we all understand this. In the same way, man, when God became a baby, he was making himself vulnerable to you and me. Because he wanted a personal relationship. He didn't come as this mighty God who comes to strike judgment and wipe out all the evil on the earth in his glorious power. No, the first time... Jesus came. He came as a weak, vulnerable baby. And that's the message of Christmas. Do you see any other religion out there where God becomes vulnerable? That any fool can just put him to death? Any fool can put a baby to death. And the king tried to do that. What other religion do you see... You know, some people like to say, oh, you know, I, I, like, I, like, I like, you know, I believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. You know, I believe in a God of love. Right? I believe God is loving, and, you know, he's not all, like, just trying to condemn us and judge us for the sin and all this stuff. You know, God is just a God of love. Well, let me tell you something. True love, like I was just saying, true love makes yourself vulnerable. True love is measured by the cost, what it costs you. This God of love that some people like to believe in, It doesn't cost him anything to love us. But Jesus, it cost him a lot. It cost him his glory. It cost him his safety. He became vulnerable. He was oppressed. He was hated on. You know, he became able to be tortured and killed. And he was. That's how vulnerable he made himself. What other God does that? What other religion has a God who makes himself so vulnerable to you and to me? That's the outrageous thing about Christian. You know, a lot of people say, you know, all religions are the same. Right? They all lead to the same way. It's to the divine. It's the eightfold path. You know, it's the five pillars. It's the, you know, you just got to be a good person or, you know, this and that. And, you know, but all religions, they kind of lead to the same way. Let me tell you something. Christianity, Christmas says Christianity is absolutely unique. There is no religion like this. Where God became vulnerable at infinite cost to himself so that he could love and save you and me. That's what it cost him. It cost him a great deal. And so one thing you know at Christmas is when when you see... Pictures like, you know, those nativity scenes and all that. When you consider that Jesus had to become a baby, when you think about Christmas, one thing you know in your heart, this is how I know God loves me. He became a baby. God became a baby. Thank you, Zoe. (laughs) Illustrating my point right there. How helpless. How vulnerable. Esther's feeling it too. Yeah, amen, Esther. 
But, man, that's, you know, that's not just this airy-fairy God of love. That's actually a God who loves us in the real, concrete, daily life. He showed it, not just by his words, but by his actions, by what he's done. So I like what Pastor Jamie was saying about hope. Because Christmas is a time of hope. You know, we don't just believe in this God up there who's a God of love. No, we believe God actually came down. And he actually showed us his love by becoming vulnerable. And so when you think about Christmas, you know God has not abandoned us. That there is hope. Because we believe in Christmas. God became a baby. He's shown it. He's proved it through his actions. Not only just dying on a cross, he became a baby. Just just think about that. No matter how hopeless your current season might feel like, Christmas is a season of hope. There's no case too hopeless that God and his love and his breaking in can't rescue you. You guys, you, guys, you guys understand? There's no religion like this. You know, some people want this loving God, but they don't want the God of the Bible. Because they say, you know, a lot of stuff in the Bible, I really don't like it. A God who judges people. You know, a God who condemns. A God who, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, receive the wrath of God for our sin. If you don't believe in Jesus, it's so intolerant. Why do you have to say Jesus is the only way? Let me tell you something. If you don't have the God of the Bible, then you just get this airy-fairy loving God. But it didn't cost him anything. He didn't have to prove anything. Let me tell you something, right? Uh, One of our sisters, I'm going to just call her out. Her name's Jen, right? Right up here, okay? And Jen, you know, she always loves to talk about love languages. And she says, you know, you know the five love languages? And she's like, you know, my love language is service. My love language is not words because words are cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say you love me all you want, but show me. Prove it to me. Demonstrate to me that you love me. Right? Do something. Serve me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but No. All right. She doesn't say it like that. Okay? I'm paraphrasing. All right? But that's basically what she said. She's like, my love language is service because say you love me. Let me tell you something. If a God says he loves you, but he didn't have to do anything to love you, But the God of the Bible, he had to become a baby. He had to go through 33 some odd years of poverty. The Bible says, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. That he had to go through all this suffering. And not only how he came into the world in a manger, but he left the world on a cross. That's a pretty humble beginning and ending. And this is what he did. He was not only words of affirmation. He was acts of service. That's why Jen is a Christian. Right? No, but seriously though. This this is the message of Christmas. If you know this God, how can you not have hope? How How can you be without hope? 
No matter how hard your situation is, what situation is there that God can't break into? That God hasn't already shown you that he loves you. I'm telling you, there's no, there's no religion like this. This is the God of Christmas. And, man, you know, he's a God who didn't shirk away from all the difficulties and challenges of life. But he entered into it. He feels what we feel. He understands everything that we go through. So whether it's your plans don't go the way that you expect them to go, and you have to go through these tough situations, whether it's you feel hopeless, you feel like nothing can change, just remember Christmas. That God became a man. And here's the ultimate hope. Right? I heard this story uh, through a preacher, Tim Keller. Many, many of you guys uh, probably know him. But I, this is my favorite Christmas story ever since I heard it. And he talks about, um, he talks about C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this little pamphlet or article or something. And he was saying, you know, God doesn't relate to us like a person on the second floor relates to a person on the first floor. You know, uh, back, back in those days, in, in, the, in the 60s, uh, when uh, the Russians first had a man orbit the moon, the premier of Russia said, now I know that there is no God. Because we went up there, and there was no God. And, and C.S. Lewis was like, no, 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 no. Like, if there's a God, he's, you don't go up to the second floor and just meet him up there. No, that's not how God relates to us. God relates to us like Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Like, he writes the play, and the only way that Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare reveals himself to Hamlet. But here's the thing. And then Keller shares his other story. So, so good. He, he talks about this uh, writer named Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers, a real smart woman, she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She was a writer of mystery detective fiction. She was not particularly attractive by her own admission. And uh, she wrote a series of uh, novels uh, and the main character is this guy named Lord Peter Whimsey, right? He's the detective solving these mysteries, solving these crimes. And she wrote this whole series, and about halfway through the series, uh, another character shows up. And Lord Peter Whimsey, he was, he was single for most of his life. And then about halfway through the series, another character shows up, and uh, it's a woman, and her name is Harriet Vane. And this woman was not particularly attractive, she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. She was a writer of mystery stories. And they meet, they solve a couple mysteries together, and they become married, and they live happily ever after. And, you know, a lot of people who studied uh, Dorothy Sayers' works, they say what she was doing there was as she was writing about this character, Lord Peter Whimsey, she saw how 
you know, everything he was going through in life, you know, even all the hardships, she saw how lonely he was, and she wrote herself into her story because she fell in love with her character. And she wrote herself into the story to save him and to rescue him. It's like, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good story, isn't it? But you know something? That's what God has done. That God, he created us. He created you and me. And we go through this life. And we go through hardships. We go through trials. We go through challenges and difficulties. Hard times. And God isn't just a distant God. Watching from afar. Seeing how things unfold. No, he didn't leave us alone. He saw our lives. And he was so in love with us. That he wrote himself into our story. That he entered into our world. So that he could be with us. And so that he could save us. That's, that is the Christmas story. Do you guys understand what Christmas is about? It's good news of great joy. But it's also a story of a God who entered into our world, humbled himself beyond anything you can imagine because he loves us. Therefore, you can have hope. There's, you know, I love the Psalms because the Psalms give you vocabulary for how to pray. Sometimes you feel things, you're experiencing things, but you don't know how to express it, articulate it to God. And the psalmists are so deep. And one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42 and 43. And the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Because of Christmas, we can say this song and believe it with all our hearts. Why, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. Because he sent his son, Jesus, into our world, into our life. Nothing was too humble for him. No situation was too far removed. That's how much he loved us. The God of Christmas. Do you guys, are you guys getting it? I love Christmas. I love Christmas. Because I just remember the love of God. I don't care about all the gifts. I like gifts. But seriously, what is, what is Christmas? Let that be your meditation and your hope this season. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.